Welcome to the Heather McCoy Show. Midway through the show, we'll be talking with Andy Berman, author of the book Electro Boy. And then rounding out the hour, we'll be talking with Robert Larson. He'll join us from the other side of the Cleveland National Forest. But first, we'll start off with our regular contributor, the vlogger behind fieldofschemes.com, Neil DeMouse. Welcome to the show, Neil. Hi, Heather. Hey. Uh, first off, we'll start in your neck of the woods in Brooklyn, where Forest City Ratner inadvertently sues New York over the Nets tax arena bill and then retracts it. I'm not sure I don't understand whether the whole debacle. How does this uh, How does this work? Oh, how long is this show? <laughs> uh, I, I can sort of explain it, but I don't think anyone really understands it. The, 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 basically what happened here is um, suddenly it was announced that Forest City Ratner, who's this big developer and has developed a bunch of buildings in New York City, including the new Nets Arena, um, was suing the city or filing a complaint with the city about its property tax appraisal, right? So they're just saying, okay, you're saying our building is worth too much money and we're paying too much in property taxes. Totally makes sense, except for the fact that they're not paying anything in property taxes. The arena gets a complete uh, property tax abatement because it's on state land. And instead, they pay what are called pilots, payments in lieu of taxes, um, <laughs> uh, equal to what the property tax would have been, to pay off their own arena bonds, okay? Yeah. So it's just like, and that's just, they only do that so that they can get a tax break, because by doing that, for reasons that you really don't want me going into here, <laughs> by doing that, they're able to get a lower, a lower bond rate because they're tax-exempt bonds. So everybody's like, what on earth is going on? So this happened, I forget, it was like Tuesday or Wednesday, and everybody was like scratching their heads, like, why on earth are they challenging this thing? Because it, it's not, they're just taking money out of one pocket and putting it into their own other pocket. Why do they care? And then on, like, Friday, suddenly there was another story that came out saying, oh, yeah, Forest City Radner said that was a mistake. <laughs> they <hadn't laughs> meant to actually sue the city over that. They meant to challenge all their other buildings, uh, uh, tax, tax appraisals. So nobody has any clue what actually happened, whether this was some kind of complicated scheme or whether somebody just, you know, forgot to take out certain uh, building numbers from the complaint. Um, but it's certainly an indication of how crazy these deals are, where, you know, again, you've got... I mean, it's a little strange in the first place. That, I mean, the... the, the the city was saying that it was worth over $700 million, and the net, uh, not the net, sorry, Forest City Ratner, who built the building and used to own the Rets and then sold them to Prokhorov, the Russian billionaire, um, they were saying, no, it's only worth $100 million. It's a, a sizable gap between $700 million and $100 million. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I, I think mostly this is serving to, uh, to show everybody how ridiculous the property tax system is in New York and... Uh, and the appraisal system and how, you know, convoluted some of these deals get where it's actually beneficial to teams to have a higher property tax bill because if you're not going to pay it, um, it allows you to do more tax shenanigans. Yeah, so is this common to get an agreement from the city to forego to collecting tax property taxes on the arena and instead just make payment on the bonds? All the time. The, 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 the bond part is kind of new. The not paying taxes part is incredibly common, and it's why you always see the city or state or county or whoever owning the building. Um, and, you know, the team owner will always say, oh, you know, you don't understand. You're getting a wonderful asset. You know, you get to own the building. We get to own the right to use the building and all the money you make from the building and the money you get from selling the name of the building. But, but really, you're getting this great building. And the only reason that they want to do that, of course, is because... If they don't own the building, they don't own property taxes on it. 
Um, apparently in Canada, as I understand it, um, they run things a little bit differently, and they still will make you pay property taxes or pilots or whatever. Oh. Um, usually, um, yeah, on, on arenas, even if you don't own the building. Um, but in the U.S., they get, let, let teams get away with that all the time. The tax thing is this bizarre um, invention that um, I believe was first used by the Yankees and the Mets when they built their stadiums, and the uh, IRS has cracked down on it marginally since then. Uh, it still exists, but it's not, uh, it's not as lucrative. But, but the Nets snuck in under the, under the gun when they were, uh, you know, got grandfathered in when the IRS changed their rules. Yeah, in Toronto this uh, week, the CFL commissioner complained about the Sky Dome being too big for regular season games, but great for big events like the Grey Cup. No word yet if the Blue Jays want to build this new new stadium as well. But uh, when the Blue Jays first moved in Sky Dome, they were a bit worried it was a bit too big. And uh, since Sky Dome is the last stadium from the 70s with the donut like multi-purpose era built for both the Argonauts and the Blue Jays, uh, shouldn't we be surprised that it took this long to get this demand out? Well, it's from the 80s. They, they, the Sky Dome opened in 89. <laughs> so it, it is the last, the last sort of concrete donut one that's shared by baseball and football. Um, I've been wondering for a while now whether the you know, Blue Jays and the Argonauts were going to start asking for new stadiums because it is one of the older, newer stadiums. Um, the one thing I think that kept it from happening is that uh, uh, Rogers Communications, which owns the Blue Jays, actually bought Sky Dome for, like, I don't know, 50 cents Canadian or something like that. It was some, you know, tiny, tiny amount of money. So they now control the building and they don't have to pay for it because that, the, the, the debt all stayed with the province. Um, so I think that made them a little bit happier, but I, I would not be surprised if, you know, in the next three to five years you hear the Blue Jays talking about wanting a new stadium because, yeah, I mean, Sky Dome pioneered so many things. It was the first, you know, building to... It was the first real mall park, you know. It was the yeah. first one to have a ton of shopping there and a Hard Rock Cafe and a hotel, and it's, you know, just has all this stuff jammed in there. But, you know, it's... it In terms of design and in terms of amenities, I guess, it's, you know, of a previous generation now. That doesn't mean it's unusable, but it means that it's certainly, you know... The Blue Jays would rather have a new place if they could get away with it and not have to pay for it. So um, it is Canada, and Canada is much, much less willing to throw money around than the U.S. is, although obviously we have seen some instances lately where that's not the case. Um, but uh, So I, I don't know how quickly something will happen, but, yeah, since the building is coming up on 25 years old, I think you're – I wouldn't be surprised, let's just put it that way, to hear them start talking about it, especially if the Argonauts are talking about their own place, and the Blue Jays will say, well – as long as you're building one stadium, might you guys just will build two, right? <laughs> yeah, it worked in Kansas City. Yeah, yeah, oh, absolutely. Yeah. Um, so, um, but yeah, but I love the idea that uh, announcing at the Grey Cup, right, which is being held at Sky Dome because it's so big, <laughs> it, announcing, oh yeah, this place is really too big for regular season football. Well, is it too big for regular season football because the audience is getting fractured so much in the sports world? Um, yeah, or, you know, there's, there's all sorts of arguments. I haven't really looked at the CFL uh, uh, attendance lately, um, but, you know, sports attendance in general is very soft right now just because people would rather stay home and watch on TV, um, especially when the prices of tickets are so high. So I think, it, you know, again, it depends a little bit um, league to league, but I think you're definitely seeing 
teams wanting to have slightly smaller buildings, right, where it's more about selling uh, uh, a small number of seats to people who can pay a lot of money and then everybody else stays home. I think we went out of talking about this a little bit a few weeks ago when the Islanders were announcing moving to, to Brooklyn and you yeah. know, it's only going to be like 14,000, 15,000 seats. And it's like that may be the new business model, you know, is, you know, we're not going to sell a lot of tickets, but the tickets we do sell will be really expensive, and everybody else can stay home and watch on TV and boost our ratings there, and then we'll get more cable money. Yeah. Um, so, uh, you know, again, it, would it be better for the Argonauts to be able to, you know, dial up the, a number, a perfect number for how many tickets they want to sell that year and have the stadium be that size? Sure. <laughs> um, but, you know, again, it, it, it's, it's at what point... Do you just sort of say, okay, fine, yes, maybe you would rather have 10,000 fewer seats or something like that. You don't. Here's the building. It's done. You know, we're not going to build a whole new one just because, you know, there's a few extra seats. Um, so, we'll, 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 again, we'll see what the, what the response is to some of this stuff. But uh, uh, it's, you know, it's the same sort of thing we're seeing with soccer stadiums when soccer teams would rather have 20,000 seats or 30,000 seats. Um, but it's very hard to predict, you know, because ten years down the road, what happens is suddenly your team is much more, your team or your league or your sport is much more popular, and you need those extra seats or yeah. less popular, and you want even fewer seats. You know, um, it's uh, until somebody invents, uh, you know, retractable stadiums. Um, I, I think they're not going to have a solution to this. Well, I don't know if you've been to Home Depot Center just for a quick aside. Where the Galaxy plays. They have one side with luxury boxes and the other side with not, and then it just seems like they have a lot of room to expand onto the stadium. So I think well, that's we're. The old... oh, I'm sorry, what? Yeah, I was going to say that's the old model, right? I mean, when they first started building steel um, baseball stadiums in the early 20th century, the idea was you wouldn't build, you know, Yankee Stadium, right? Held like 57,000. I think at one point it was like close to 70,000 um, before they realized that modern people have butts a little bit larger than the seats they had and had to redo it. Um, but, you know, the, it was a huge stadium, but it wasn't built that way when Babe Ruth played there. You know, when Babe Ruth was first there, it held, I don't know, like 20, 25,000 or something like that, and they just kept adding on pieces as the team got more and more popular. And that was how things used to work. You know, you'd build to the size that you knew you could fill, and then you'd expand on. And that's certainly, I think, the, uh, the model in, like, you know, European soccer and things like that. Um, the, the issue here is, you know, again, the teams wanting to, to have something that is built to exactly the right size and then doesn't have to be, have to be adapted. Um, I think, you know, I think it makes a lot more sense to do something that, that is adaptable, but, uh, uh, again, if you're not the one having to pay the consequences, then, uh, then it's easy to say. Okay, fine. Just give us what we want. Yeah, the the Dolphins have been making this claim about their stadium being just too big for them. After the Miami Marlins disaster of last week, shouldn't the Dolphins just stay quiet for at least a year? You would think, <laughs> but I guess they're trying to to uh, distinguish themselves, right? We talked about this last week, right? That that what every other team owner in baseball needs. Uh, sorry, not base, just baseball. The team owner in sports needs to do right now is uh, is to say just say, okay, fine. We're not Jeffrey Loria, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, we're, we're, you know, we understand, you know, he's the devil incarnate, but that's not us. 
so the dolphins are are here doing a little bit of uh, a little bit of distinguishing here, saying, "Oh, you know, it's not that we really need a new stadium; it's just that we accidentally, when we built it ourselves, <laughs> yeah. you know, twenty years ago, um, we we built too many seats in the upper deck and not enough in the lower deck, um, and therefore we, you know, want." And they haven't quite said what they want. A new one, a remodeled one, they don't know how much money they want. Do they want a roof? Do they want, like, a little fabric roof that, you know, sort of covers people but will still let the sun through so that they can feel like they're outdoors in Florida? Um, they're just floating stuff at this point. I'm trying to get the, get people used to the idea of, oh, we really they really need a new remodeled stadium because the old one isn't at the top of the list for the, for, to get a new Super Bowl, right? They're, they're on the list. They're on the short list for, to get a Super Bowl. But, you know, they might have a hard time competing with some of the other stadiums because they're not the newest thing on the block. Um, again, I don't think the response was that great but, uh, to, that, to that demand, but uh, it's not about getting an immediate response. It's about sort of, you know, starting a conversation. Yeah, and the starting conversation is the first step. Um, one of the things I would do if I was a Mar- or I'm sorry, the Dolphins owners, I would actually take some seats out and put a hideous statue sister to the Marlins one whenever they score a touchdown. <laughs> that would be kind of cool. Would it ever go off? Oh, yeah, that's true. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, this will. I I I don't even know what to say about the Marlins anymore. <laughs> yeah. Well, you from, know, it's, so, it's hard to make jokes about them when they when they are such you know when they do the, do it themselves so well. Yeah, besides the, the Giants, they're my favorite new um, uh, MLB team. I mean, they're awesome. They're like the story that keeps on going. Um, aside from the Heat, would it be accurate to say that the rest of pro sports in South Florida are kind of in danger for the next twenty years? Because you have the Marlins that are kind of you know building PR by what they did. And then the Dolphins haven't had a really good thing on the field since Jimmy Johnson became the coach. And then the Florida Panthers, they have attendance issues. You know, sports in Florida is is not an easy sell, you know. I think yeah. you've got, you know, you've got a lot of people who'd rather be on the beach and you have a lot of people who are, you know, older and would rather not leave the house and would rather <laughs> watch on TV. It's just not a fantastic, you know, just Despite the market size, it's not a fantastic market. Um, and, uh, you know, when you add in the likelihood that probably some major city in Florida is going to get uh, wiped out by a hurricane in the next five or ten years, <laughs> uh, and I'm, you know, I'm not even joking about that. No, um, no. You know, I mean, it's, I, I think it's definitely worrisome. Um, but, you know, the, it's, still, it's still probably better than playing in uh, in you know, depending on what, what sport, playing in Charlotte or Kansas City or someplace like that. So, um, you know, they'll, they'll try and make a go of it. And, again, you know, it's not like any of these teams are, are probably losing a lot of money. I mean, the Marlins aren't losing money. Marlins are doing great, Yeah. you know? Yeah. They, people, some, some people tune in on TV and they get revenue-sharing checks and they don't pay anybody anything. And, you know, it's, it's uh, you know, baseball owners especially like to complain about how, uh, you know, the old joke is how do you – how do you make a small fortune in baseball? Start with a large fortune. Um, the I think uh, you know the Marlins are disproving that. You know, <laughs> the Marlins are showing that you know absolutely a you know a money machine as long as you don't try to win anything. Yeah, uh, we'll end off back near my home in Southern California. The Pasadena City Council approves talking about renting the Rose Bowl to an NFL team to be named later. 
the motivation behind the approval to rent is to offset the cost of upgrading the Rose Fall, which costed around $195 million. What part of the math the city council is missing in this deal if they do get a team? Um, you know, it's, it, it's, it's possible it will help offset things somewhat. Um, the two problems are that I think they're overestimating how much they think they're going to make, and then they're underestimating how much, underestimating how much it's going to cost. Um, you know, they're saying, I forget what it was, it was like 5 to $10 million a year they were thinking in terms of, uh, yeah. in terms of rent. And maybe they could get that, but, you know, first of all, there has to be a team that wants to move to L.A. and, uh, you know, accept that stadium deal that is still sort of hanging out there and, you know, is not that lucrative because the team would have to put up a lot of money. So then you'd be saying to them, okay, you can move here right now to the Rose Bowl, which isn't, you know, this great modern new stadium that's going to get built wherever it is in the L.A. area. But you have to pay us like $10 million a year rent. And, you know, is the team really going to jump at that? Or are they going to go back to the, you know, Coliseum or someplace and say, okay, will you give us a better deal? I mean, it's only a couple years. It doesn't really matter where they play. Yeah. Um, it, it, it's It's, a little bit, and you know, what if it's the Chargers, right? The Chargers don't care. The Chargers aren't, gonna, aren't going to be all excited about moving to the Rose Bowl to get a jump into the L.A. market as opposed to playing in San Diego a couple more years. Um, so, I, you know, I think they're being a little bit optimistic there, and I think, you know, I'm not sure that they've accounted for all the costs in terms of extra police protection, extra, you know, traffic mitigation stuff and things like that. Um, and, you know, again, it's not a huge cost, but even if it's a couple million dollars a year, that chips away at 5 to $10 million a year in rent. And, you know, again, I don't begrudge them for, for it. all they did was to say that we will authorize the city to open talks with some team if some team eventually exists. Um, <laughs> that's fine. Go ahead. Great. Do it. But, you know, do I expect that they're actually going to get a huge windfall out of this? No way. Yeah, yeah. Well, our guest has been Neil DeMoss. He does com. Thank you for being on the show, Neil. Of course. Talk to you next week. Okay.